welcome you to another episode of the Gateway Leadership Podcast. This is David Canastracy, and uh, we're excited about helping you to lead in every area of your life. Now, today is a very special edition of our podcast because I'm bringing you right into the room. I'm bringing you into the room with my team right here at the San Jose campus, and uh, these are people that I love. I wish this was video so you could see these beautiful faces, young and old, and uh, some of you look a little tired. I'm going to just go ahead and say that, but that's because you're on my team, I understand. And if you're a leader, you know what tired is. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad that we could all be together. And today our conversation is going to be about an area that if you lose this area, nothing else you do will matter. If you lose this one area in life, in family, in your business, uh, in your ministry, on your team, if you lose this, everything else collapses. And that is the topic of unity and having one heart. You see, because whatever we want to do for the Lord, um, whether it's prayer ministry or uh, life group leadership or uh, team building or what, you, you name it, music, any, any area, anything that you do. And by the way, your family as well. If you, can't, if you have all the talent in the world, but you can't actually create the right kind of relationships, everything falls apart. So relationships are super important. They're important to me. They're important to this team. And they're important to every person's uh, leadership in every person's ministry. And it seems like it's getting tougher and tougher all the time. I listen to the things I hear in the media. I listen to the things I hear uh, as I read uh, Twitter and, and I look at my social media feed. And, and, and there are lots of beefs. There's lots of, this is like, I don't know, the decade of the beefs, you know, everybody's beefing about something. Everybody's outraged about something. It seems like outrage is the new currency of cool, you know, like you're not even cool unless you're, you know, outraged about something and pushing something. But I worry about where that's taking us, and I worry about that, um, you know, how that's feeding the world. Right now, at the time of the recording of this meeting, we're all hearing reports about the coronavirus, but there's something that's got me more worried than the coronavirus, and that's disunity. Because we can get medicine and we can recover from a, from a natural virus, but if we pick up the virus of anger and hate and disunity and beefing and always being on the, uh, uh, you know, on the, uh, the attack and always on the defensive, then we're in trouble. It's getting harder and harder to cultivate unity and, and one heart, I think, because of where the culture's at. But other natural things that are going on, uh, here on our team, we have new people coming in all the time, and we're so glad that you're here. And I know it might feel hard to jump onto what's happening, and you're just getting oriented, but I want you to know you're a part of this. And we have our part-timers. We have our full-timers. Uh, we're spread out over six cities as an operation. Uh, we're making changes because we're growing. That's another complicating factor. New wine, new wineskins, etc. And then, of course, we have different cultures, different generations. Right here around this table, we've got, I don't know, maybe three or, or even four different generations. And every generation has a certain way of looking at things. It's not right or wrong. 
the, the latest generation isn't the right generation. <laughs> Every generation has their, their reason for believing, you know, looking at the world as it is. But, you know, sometimes bridging those gaps can be different. And then just the differences between men and women, that's huge. And all the married people said, amen, yes. And, and then, you know, then there's how many different kind of Enneagram gives us nine personality styles. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's uh, what's the other one? Taylor, not Taylor Briggs, but uh, what is it? Disc Myers-Briggs gives us, I don't know, 30 of them. So how many different kinds of people are there? I've never met two people alike. So how do we come together? I have noticed that almost everything resists unity. The world is just wired to separate us, to push us apart. Time resists unity, financial pressures. There are certainly demons, and we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, the devil's trying to jump in there. So everything resists unity, so we have to resist what is resisting us. And what I want to talk about is uh, a passage of Scripture. We're going to look at two portions of Scripture today. If you have a Bible or digital device, you want to grab it. The first one is Acts chapter 4, and then the next one is Ephesians chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Wow. And neither did anyone say that the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common and with great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's a fascinating uh, passage of Scripture. One heart, one soul, great power, great grace. Those things go together, don't they? One heart, one soul, great power, great grace. And we've all been in those powerless situations and those grace-less situations and I bet you if we could trace back and look at, take a look at what's happening, it's not because you didn't read your Bible that day. It's not because you didn't pray and fast enough. It might be because your relationships in your world are pinched and cut off and divided. A lot of the problems that we have, it's, it's related to this underlying thing. You know, I, I come from kind of a crazy family. My, my family on my dad's side uh, they're Italian. They're, there was nine of them. Uh, they lived in one room. And then you take people on my mom's side. She was, they, my dad was from uh, Chicago. My mom was from a little town in Texas. And she only had one sibling. And uh, for much of her life, she felt lonely because she was from a broken family. So she was by herself a lot. But you've got Dan Canastracy, crazy Chicago Italian, and, and, and Bobby Sue Creighton from Texas, and they come together, and they make a family, and now this is one family, and my brother, Dan, my adopted brother, Mark, my sister, Sherry, and myself, and then all of our grandchildren, we have this one DNA coming from two very different worlds, and each of us having all kinds of different personalities, different careers, different uh, professions, living in different parts of our state. But there's that one thing that ties us together, which is that miraculous molecular level unity 
of DNA. And, and because we look at each other, we're very different, different ages, different professions, different backgrounds. But we look at each other, but we say, this is family. And we do that because of a, a, of a tie. The thing I want to say to us in the ministry context is we can't lose sight of that connection that we really do have. You can focus on all the ways that we're different, and there are many of them. And, and that's a good thing, by the way. It's a, we're, not, we're never supposed to be exactly alike. But the reason we don't give up on the relationship, the reason we don't walk away, is because we know there's a tie there. It's on a molecular level that we are joined together, and uh, that's called family. And it has to do with DNA. And I was just reading this morning, you know, the passage, uh, passage about where Jesus is, they're quizzing him about marriage and divorce and and Jesus said this one thing. He said, what God has joined together, no man should separate. And boy, that stood out to me, not in a marriage way. It stood out in a different way as I realized, you know, there are certain relationships where it's actually God has joined us together. And I know you might get discouraged at times, and I know you might think, well, I'm going to quit and start somewhere else. And maybe that's God's plan, and I'm, I'm not. But here's a question for you. Did God join you to that relationship or not? This is what you've got to keep coming back to because you can focus on he's so different than me. She's so different than me in your marriage or, or on your ministry team or, or, or whatever it is. Just somebody you, maybe you're struggling to get along with. And we live in a society that doesn't really recognize DNA and doesn't really say that God brings people together. But as far as I'm concerned, in the kingdom of God, there is a DNA. And God is active in putting certain people, not everybody, but putting certain people into relationships with other people. So, so a really big question for us to be successful would be, did God put me in this or not? And, you know, if God didn't put you in it, then feel free to amend it. But if God put you in it, if God is the author of this, let not man separate it. It's really a, a powerful um, principle. There's another verse that I love. It's uh, Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. Father to the fatherless. I don't know how many of you maybe grew up with a, an absent father or a kind of a weak father figure or not much of a father or maybe even, God forbid, a, a dangerous father, a harmful father. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. This is God, hallelujah, whose dwelling is holy. And then it says this, God places the lonely. Where? Families. He places them into families. And related, he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious, the relationship resistors, the family resistors, the people that say, I don't want to be a part of, I just want to, I just want to be by myself. Those people dwell in a dry land. If you think it's hard being a part of a family, just try having no family. Just, just, talk, to, just talk to somebody that's never really had family and tell them all your gripes and complaints about how somebody doesn't put the toilet seat where it's supposed to be or they, how they roll up the toothbrush paste or, or whatever. You know, if you think family is tough, and it is, it's not, it's not always easy. Marriage and family and team ministry, it's not always easy. 
But if you think that's hard, just try being alone for the rest of your life. God puts the solitary into family. And I could just go around this room and say, God put you here, God put you here, God put you here, God put you here. He brought us together. And knowing that means a lot. So how, what does it look like for us to, to flow together and really be one heart? There's this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, let's switch over to the fourth chapter, the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4. I'll read it to you out of the uh, New Living Translation. I'll just make a few observations out of this passage uh, before we close. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've all been called by one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and living through all. The key word so far is one. Have you noticed? Mm -hmm. One heart, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Father. And he goes on. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights and led the crowd of captives and gave gifts to the people. He continues, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity. This will, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us and with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Wow. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I wrote down four pillars of what it means to be one heart, four pillars of family, four pillars of one that I just want to pull out of these. I want to pull these threads out of this passage. First thing I noticed was one heart of love. He talked about being humble and gentle and patient and allowing for each other's faults. And he said, speaking the truth in love. Everybody wants love, but nobody understands what it is. Love is not a feeling. Love is not magic emotions. It has nothing to do with magic emotions. Love is a commitment to another person's good. And it's having the will to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, 
I'm here for you. And I want to see you succeed. And I want what is best for you. And making that decision with some people is easier than others. But Paul's talking about really having one spirit of love. We cannot pick and choose who we love. Love is for everybody. Everybody deserves love. Everybody deserves that from us. And when Jesus gave us the great command to love each other, he didn't say love the people that you get along with. And he didn't say love the people that you agree with. And he didn't say love the people that look like you and think like you. He said love each other, period. That means we're going to exercise that spirit of love even toward people that are hard to love. In fact, loving people that love us is not much of a measure of anything. Jesus said, it's easy to love people that love you. <laughs> you give me a Christmas gift, I give you a Christmas gift. You remember my birthday, I remember your birthday. What do you want, a cookie? I mean, that's not, there's no reward for that, right? It's, it's doing for people that don't necessarily maybe get it and don't, you know, it's not, the, it's not a mutual exchange. That's where the real love comes uh, shining through. And we're talking about family. In a family, everybody deserves love. That means everybody's accepted. That means people that are a little di a different, a little off, need a little, you know, sanding here and there. Uh, not me, of course. I'm, I, if everybody was more like me, everything would be perfect, right? But, but people that are different than me, I, I'm, I'm going to have to exercise my, <laughs> my decision. So forget about the magic feelings. Love is a family commitment. Hey, we're a family we don't do it that way, we do it this way. Hey, we're a family, we're here for each other. We don't, we don't pick and choose who we're going to, um, who we're going to love. And, and as in any family, I can tell you, is my wife here? She is, yes, there she is. Um, do I ever offend you, dear? Do I ever say things that are offensive? Yes, she's nodding her head. Because even if she said no, everybody would know she's lying, right? <laughs> you, you offend people that you love. It happens. So why are we so surprised when in a team setting or a ministry setting, leadership family setting, setting somebody says something or does something and it, and it hurts or it offends or it makes you angry or, or whatever, and then you just say, well, I, that, I give up. I give up on that purpose. You can't give up. It's family. You're, you continue down that road of relationship. You keep your boundaries. You communicate, but, and you work for reconciliation and resolution, but that heart of love is what's going to... And so to, to really be a family and to really love, we've got to get over the offenses and we've got to get over the failures of people around us. Because what we want to do is just run with people that don't fail. <laughs> I'll hang out with people that never let me down. But the only problem is we're fresh out of perfect people. Every single one of us is going to make a mistake. So we make the decision, you know what? I'm going to love you, warts and all. I'm going to love you, failures and all. And that's just it. We're stuck together. We have one DNA. It's a heart of love. The second piece of this is a heart of unity. Um, and, and Paul is talking about unity, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And unity is a spiritual issue. I think you know that if you're in ministry, if you're in leadership, you know that unity is that one thing that if you lose it, nothing else matters. 
If you lose unity, nothing else. It doesn't matter how great your message is. It doesn't matter how great your teaching is, your outline. If there's no unity to hold it together, then, then uh, it, it, it doesn't work. And, and a lot of disunity is natural, normal, things we would expect. We bump into each other. Somebody says something they shouldn't say, you know, bad manners. Uh, somebody doesn't return an email on time, you know. But on the other hand, some disunity is demonic. Some, some disunity is just normal life. But when the enemy jumps into it and he starts empowering it and you find yourself laying in bed rehearsing the scene and thinking about what you're going to say and what they're going to say, and, you know, you have these dramas. Does anybody have dramas play out in your head? You know, uh, what happened? And, and, and you go into this whole world. There's like a fuel that's being poured on that that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Spirit of God. That's something else. And so you have to be, you know, careful and, and, uh, and watch out. Look at the prayer of Jesus. In the message translation, John 17, he says this, I'm no longer going to, be the, going to be visible in the world. He's praying for us, and he says, they'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred on them as a gift through me so that they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. The goal for all of them is to become one heart and one mind just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you so that they might be one heart and one mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. Wow. What Jesus is doing is he's creating the case that the way we connect to each other affects how we connect to God and how we connect to God affects our witness to the world. So, so that one heart of unity is so important. The third piece of this is one heart of engagement. And I love this passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because this is a leadership team. You guys all understand engagement, everybody doing their part. But it is interesting that Paul is talking about each person being different and each person having a job to do. Your job is different than my job. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And the goal on a team is for each person to find their place of functioning together and being, uh, being in one heart. And it's really true when it comes to family. Now, a lot of people want to have family, but a lot of them don't want family obligations. When you get married, it carries obligations. When you have a child, it carries obligations. When you become a part of a family, everybody in the family has a job, and that's called engagement. Everybody's got to do their part, and, and so that's how the family works together and flows together and lives together, one heart of engagement. And uh, that's a super, that, the, that each of us has a vital part to play. Each of us has a gift and a purpose. Each of us is connected to a gift and connected to somebody with a purpose that might be slightly different than yours, but it's placed there. Each of us is placed there by Jesus. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are helpers. Some have different roles, but if everybody is who they are and plays the role they're supposed to play, everybody's engaged and we are one. The last part of this is being one heart of maturity. One heart of maturity. 
The language here is striking. Paul says, I want you to be mature. And then he says, I don't want you to be like children. (laughs) He says, I want you to grow up in this passage. He said, we all need to grow up. How many will be honest and say there's one or two areas where you just kind of need to grow up? Wave at me. Yeah. If we could focus on that piece and, and allowing ourselves to grow up in certain ways, unity becomes easy. Um, it's the childish part of us, the undeveloped part of us that wants to fight with other people. It's the immature piece of us that wants to stick up for our rights because we still see ourselves as an insignificant child, a victim. Uh, but, you know, parents, they know they're in control. They know they're in charge. They take responsibility, and they, they don't... A really mature parent never really has to say, I'm the father here, you know. A really mature parent knows they're a father, knows they're a mother, unless you have a strong-willed child. And we won't mention which ones we, we know, but um, sometimes your children will think they're in charge, right? Um, the goal is maturity. And it, it, honestly... Unity is a form of suffering. Let's, let's be real. If you signed up for a relationship, you signed up for suffering. But the suffering grows you up. It makes you strong. It teaches you what to worry about, and it teaches you what not to worry about. It teaches you which fires you need to rush and put out, and it teaches you which fires you don't even have to address because you know they'll burn out by themselves. It's that experience, it's that maturity, it's that stability. Growing every way, more and more like Christ. So in a family, everybody grows, everybody matures, and that's the goal. We're not where we need to be, but we're on our way. And from time to time, we may have to set aside a childish way. Set aside something in us that's a little bit third grade, first grade kindergarten. You've got to put that aside and say, all right, I want to be my best adult self and relate to other people. I miss Don Phillips. Um, I'll close with this. Don was a counselor uh, and uh, has a long history in our, in our city, and, and he passed away, I guess, a year and a half ago, maybe now, and then we just... just um, had his memorial service for his beautiful wife, Ruth Ann. He taught me there's three ways you can relate to other people. You can be a parent to them. You can be a child to them. Or you can be an adult with them. And what Paul seems to be saying here is, you know, we don't have to try to parent each other. I I personally don't need a parent. I don't need somebody, you know, telling me how to do my job, or, or I love suggestions. I love adult-to-adult conversations. But we all know those kind of the people that are trying to reach in and parent us, right? And then there's the children in our lives that want us to gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, not you, Jimmy, but gimme, gimme, you know, they, they want, they want, they want, they want, they want to be the child. What we're looking for is that adult-to-adult relationship. We love each other. We respect each other. We help each other. But on the other hand, you're an adult. You can hear from God. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. Let's all serve the Lord together. That's the best kind of 
That's how you want to do marriage. That's how you want to do team ministry. That's how you want to do uh, church. It takes a lot of love, a lot of patience, uh, a lot of goodwill. But the bottom line is if we don't have that one DNA and that feeling that God has joined us together, we're not going to get anything done for the Lord. And our goal in ministry is to serve the Lord and please him and put a smile. So unity, let's embrace unity. Let's be one family. Let's be one people. Uh, let's uh, recognize that you're young, I'm old. Uh, you're Hispanic, I'm a white guy. You're this, you're that. And, but we can still serve the Lord together. Not like Tonto and the Lone Ranger. When they came into the valley and they looked up on the ridge and there was... Indians filling the skyline on all the ridges surrounding them. And the Lone Ranger said to Tonto, Tonto, I think we're in trouble. And Tonto said, what do you mean we, white man? Uh, let, <laughs> let's, take, let's take our unity. Let's take our unity past our differences past our differences, male, female, young, old, white, brown, black. Let's take our unity way past that and really be there because we are family. Amen. I want to pray for us and I want to pray for my listeners. And, um, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to just release a spirit of unity upon his family. Lord, I thank you for this time together. And I pray, Lord, that all across all of our lives, that you would defeat the work of division and the virus of pickiness and anger and the virus of choosing sides. Lord, cleanse your body of all of that and help us to be one heart, one mind, one team, one family, because there's one Lord, there's one Father, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. Give us one heart, I pray, through Christ. Amen. I'm glad you guys could join me for the Gateway Leadership Podcast. I look forward to the next time when we can be together. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Gateway Leadership Podcast with David Canastracy, inspiring you to lead in every area of life. We'll be releasing a new episode every month, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next month.